All right. Welcome, everybody. You guys can come on back in and find a seat. If you're a guest here this morning, we want to welcome you. We're so glad that you're here with us this morning. That was a sweet time of worship, wasn't it? I needed that. <clears throat> a couple of years ago, April and I had uh, decided to take the girls to an amusement park. Well, mostly they had decided to take us to an amusement park. And uh, so we signed up and we got some tickets and we were getting ready to go. And then it was the day before we were going to go. And I found out that there was a music festival happening at this same park that we were going to go to. So it was going to be just like totally overrun with people. So we were like, well, I guess if we go early in the morning, like the concerts are at night, if we go early in the morning, then we can try and beat the crowds and get through everything that we needed to, the kids wanted to get through, all the rides and all that sort of stuff. So we got there early and uh, we went through the entrance and I walked through the entrance and there was this giant sign. It was like maybe, I don't know, 15 feet wide and 10 feet tall. And there's a big red dot at the bottom and it said, you are here which seemed kind of strange to me because I knew I was here, so that didn't really seem like that was necessary to say. Like, of course I'm here. I just walked through the entrance. I know exactly where I am. But the reason that that was actually helpful was because, not because it told me where I was, but because it told me on the map where I was in proximity to all the rides that my kids wanted to go to. I could see all the places they wanted to go to. I could see where I was, and I could see the path that I should take to get to the rides that my kids wanted to go to. And that's kind of what I want to talk to you guys this morning about, is a little bit about where we are and a little bit about where God wants us to go. And if we can see where we are and we can see where God wants us to go, then we can see the path that we got to take to get there. Would you open your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 2? I want to read verses 42 through 47. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Today we're going to wrap up our Back to the Basics series. And this morning I actually want to talk to you guys about fellowship. And you might think, hear that word fellowship and you might think, like, what exactly does that have to do with the basics of our faith? What exactly does that have to do with the fundamentals of our faith? Well, I'm glad you asked. We're going to talk about what fellowship is. You know, we have a fellowship hall, and sometimes we have fellowship dinners. So what exactly is fellowship, and why is it important? In this particular scripture, Luke, who wrote Acts, used a specific word for fellowship, and the word that he used was koinonia. Koinonia speaks to partnership. It speaks to participation, connectedness, togetherness. It can mean to come alongside of and assist. It can also mean working together for a common purpose. So there's some areas of fellowship that I see in this portion of Scripture that I want to talk to you guys about this morning. The first thing that stood out to me about fellowship in this portion of Scripture 
was they really cared for each other. I mean, they really, really cared for each other. How many of you know it's easy to say you care about someone, but when the rubber meets the road is really where we find out, do you really care about some, someone? It's easy to tell someone you care, you care about them, to let someone know you're, you're praying for them. You see a prayer request come across the prayer chain, and you, you put a little praying hands emoji, and that's pretty easy. But to show up in someone's life when they're in a place of need is a completely different story. To cancel your plans to try and help someone who's in need is a totally different deal. To take someone's kids and watch them when you were planning to have an evening free where you didn't have anything to do. To take your meal that you made for your family and go and give that to someone else who's hungry. To take your car that you were planning to go somewhere with and to loan it to someone else. It's totally different than just saying you care for someone. Here we see the disciples, these people who had given their lives to Jesus. The Bible says they had everything in common, which means they had an attitude that said, what's mine is yours. They were willing to use what they had to meet each other's needs. And in the book of John, we see Jesus talk about this specific kind of love and care that we see on display here in the book of Acts. In John 13, verses 34 and 35, it says, A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So here we see Jesus talking about this kind of love and care. And then in the book of Acts, we see that kind of love and care that he was talking about on display. We see it at work in the lives of the disciples. Jesus said that this type of love would be our calling card. It would be the thing that that people noted about us, and because of it, it would point people to him. Then the scripture goes on to say that they sold property and possessions and gave to anyone that was in need. Now, Money isn't exactly easy to come by, and we're living at a time right now where a lot of people are feeling like money is tight. They feel like they're seeing inflation in their lives, and they feel like, man, like it's hard to get by. It's hard to have enough money to do all the stuff that we want and need to do. So you work really hard for your money, and you get your money, and you save your money, and finally you save up enough money to buy a piece of property. Like You've gone to a lot of lengths to get to that place where you've saved up and you're ready to buy a piece of property. And it was like that in those days, too. Money wasn't easy. They worked hard for what they had. But then they've been affected by this love of Jesus, and we see them actually selling their property and possessions to give to anyone who is in need. Society has become very isolated, and I see the church falling into the same rut as society, becoming very isolated. Sometimes I see people do things like, and this is not a knock to anyone who's sitting in the back row, so don't take it that way. I'd be sitting there myself. But so you see somebody coming to church, and they walk in late, and they come, and they sit in the back row, and they don't take their coat off. And then as soon as I pray at the end of the service and I say amen, they make a beeline for the door. And i got to tell you, if you're one of those people, I don't actually believe that you came to church. You didn't do church. Sure, singing worship is a part of doing church and, and listening to the word of God be, be broken down and preached in a way that we can apply it to our life, that's doing church. But if you didn't connect with the people in this room, 
then you didn't do church. If you didn't stop and talk to someone and check, check in on them and say, how are you doing? Like, I know you've been going through stuff. How are you doing? Are you doing okay? If you didn't check in on somebody and say, you know, is there anything that you need? I know, I know you guys are going through a hard time. If you didn't laugh with someone, if you didn't hug someone, if you didn't greet someone, then you didn't actually do church. According to Jesus, church includes fellowship. It includes connecting together. 1 Corinthians 1.10 says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no division among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and in thought. Sometimes we have the appearance of caring, and we give off the appearance of caring, but we're not willing to actually walk in unity. We're not actually willing to walk with people in the nitty-gritty parts of life, in the difficult parts of life. A number of years ago, there was a, a devastating earthquake in Haiti. Probably many of you will remember that. And we would see videos and pictures coming out of Haiti of the devastation. He looked at a country that was already really, really struggling just to do normal life. And then this devastating earthquake happens and it's like, how did they even recover from something like that? It seemed kind of impossible. And we have missionaries that we've supported in Haiti for a long time. Many of you will know them, Roger and Margaret Clark. They've been here and shared a number of times. And Elam Fellowship, the organization that uh, provides oversight for us, they reached out to Roger and Margaret Clark, and they said, is there anything that we can do to help? Like, what can we do? And they said, you know, of course, the financial need is great. So if you guys wanted to send money to help support what's happening down here and help people rebuild, that would be amazing. But really, what would be even better than that is if you'd be willing to send teams down to help rebuild churches. There's a number of churches that were destroyed, and these churches basically have no hope of being rebuilt. And so they sent out that plea, and they said, would you guys be willing to, to take up offerings, and would you be willing to send teams down? So Elam Fellowship reached out to all of the Elam churches and said, because of what's happening in Haiti, we're asking everyone to take up offerings that we can send to the Clarks to try and support the mission down there and help them support people who are trying to put their lives back together. And would you consider putting together a team of, of guys that can go down and help rebuild these churches? And I don't know for sure, but my guess is probably almost every single Elam church took up an offering for the people in Haiti. I, I don't know for sure, but there might have been a few that didn't. But pretty much, I would guess, just about every church took up an offering to send money down there. But very, very few churches were willing to put together a team of people to go down there. And sometimes that's kind of our attitude, where it's easy to throw money at a problem. It's easy to say we care about People, it's easy to find a couple hundred bucks in our pocket to throw in the plate to, to help Haiti rebuild. But when it comes to pausing our neatly packaged, convenient lives, when it comes to stopping what we're doing and putting our life on pause to actually help someone else and actually physically care for them and get our hands dirty in doing it, there's very few churches that were willing to do that. I was super glad that our church was one of those few churches that was willing to send a team down and not just say, here's some money we can give to you in a convenient way, but to say, we're willing to get our hands dirty and walk with you and stand with you in the mess that you're in the middle of right now. And that's really what's happening here in the early church is we're seeing people that are, are willing to do more than just say I care about you, more than just say I love you. They were literally willing to sell their possessions and their property 
to give to everyone who's in need. The second thing that stands out to me is that this group of people, they went to church consistently. It says in verse 46, it says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. So here we have the disciples that are meeting together regularly. They're, in fact, going to church daily. They're going to church consistently together. There was a togetherness in their going to church. There's kind of a, a, a phrase that's been floating around recently. It's been kind of popular. Maybe some of you have heard it, where somebody will say, I don't have to go home to be married. And they're correct. They're right. You don't actually have to go home to be married. You can stay wherever you are and still stay married. But if you don't ever go home, it would be foolish to think that your marriage isn't going to begin to suffer. Your marriage is going to eventually begin to suffer, and it's going to erode, and it will probably fail if you never go home. And the same is true of our relationship with God. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. That's totally true. You do not have to go to church to be a Christian. But if you don't, there's a good likelihood that that relationship with the Lord and with each other eventually is going to begin to suffer and it's going to begin to erode. In the scripture, we see the disciples were going to church together daily. Now, we use the word disciple, but I think a different word that actually might paint a better picture for us is the word apprentice. An apprentice is someone who studies the teacher. They study every move the teacher makes. They study how the teacher speaks. They learn how the teacher thinks. They learn the teacher's mannerisms. They start to walk like the teacher. They start to talk like the teacher. Eventually, it's like you can't even tell the difference between the apprentice and the teacher. Like That's the objective of the apprenticeship. That's really what the disciples were doing. They were apprenticing under Jesus. They were learning to see things the way that Jesus saw things. They were learning to talk like Jesus talked. They were learning to act like Jesus acted and walk like he walked. They were becoming like Jesus. So we have a group of people that are learning to become like Jesus together. And the fact that they surrounded themselves with other people that were also becoming like Jesus, I think played a huge part in them journeying to becoming like Jesus because they were being influenced by their friends that were also wanting to look like Jesus and talk like him and walk like him and act like him. It would be foolish to think that you're not going to be influenced by the people that you surround yourself with. It's a simple fact that you will become like the people you're around. We have phrases that we use like, uh, you're like the average of the five people that you surround yourself with. Or show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And these are kind of uh, part of a parent's repertoire of speeches they give to their kids to try and get their kids to stop hanging out with kids that are going to land them in jail, right? But it's much more than that. It's true for you and it's true for me too. Like we literally will become like the people we surround ourselves with. And we see the works that the disciples did and we see who the disciples became. And a lot of that is the fruit of the people that they surrounded themselves with. When you're walking through difficult times in your life, you got to be really careful who you surround yourself with. It could totally change the direction that your life goes based on who you surround yourself with when you're walking through a hard time. When you're walking through something 
difficult in your life, the words of the people you surround yourself with become like seeds that are planted in your mind that grow and they end up directing the direction of your life. When you feel like giving up, one of the best things you could have in your life, one of the best gifts you could have is someone who's willing to come and walk alongside you and say, don't give up. You can't give up. You've come too far. I see where you used to be, and you're not the same. You're not where God wants you to get yet, but you're also not where you were. Don't give up. One of the best gifts you can have in life when you're struggling is someone to come along you and say, I'm willing to walk with you. In the beginning of 1 Corinthians 12, they're, using the, they're drawing the analogy of the body of Christ and the human body. And they say things like, what good would it be if we were all ears? How would we ever smell anything? Or what good would it be if we were all hands? How could we ever walk anywhere? These kind of analogies. And it gets down to verse 23 and it says, And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has put the body together, giving great honor to the parts that lack it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each of you is to be a part of it. You know, you look at your body and you think to yourself, like, I've got ten toes. Like, if I just lost a couple of the little ones, like, you wouldn't think it would be that big of a deal, right? Like, I mean, it's, your little toe is so little. Like, how important could it be? Like, surely you could lose the little one, maybe the next one up, you would still be okay. You got your big toe to kind of keep your balance and hold it all together. But let me tell you, if you walk across the living room in your socks and you accidentally kick the ottoman, you are going to find out real quick how important that little toe is. Like you will be rolling on the ground speaking in tongues or saying something. And like you realize, you get up to walk and it's like, oh my goodness, like this little toe was so important. I didn't even realize it. I never paid attention to it, but it was so important. And here we see in the early church, they all saw their part as being important. They all saw the part they played as being crucial. None was less important than the other. There were apostles and there were prophets and evangelists, but they all showed up at church together regularly and they all did their part. And because of it, the church moved in power. The third thing that I see in this portion of Scripture is that they were together outside of church. So they really cared for each other. They attended church consistently. And then they were together outside of church, too. We see this in verse 46. It says, They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So we see that they're regularly spending time together in church, but then we also see that they're regularly spending time together outside of church. It's good to study the Word of God. I think that's incredibly valuable in your life. I also think it's really good to hang out and have fun together. Sometimes we can be so serious and so intense about our faith journey that we forget. It's okay to just hang out and have fun together and laugh together. I think we see that when the Scripture says they hung out with glad and sincere hearts, 
They were not afraid to have fun together. They weren't too overly serious all the time. I think they laughed at each other and they laughed at themselves and they had fun together. But if we're honest, sometimes it's hard for us to be in each other's space often. Sometimes we get sick of each other. Sometimes we get bothered by each other. Sometimes we step on each other's toes, even the little one. We offend each other. We get annoyed with each other. So how are we supposed to walk together? How did the early church walk together in unity? How can we walk together in unity? I saw a couple scriptures that Paul specifically speaks to this. The first is in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. I believe that what Paul's doing here is he's trying to encourage us. He's trying to teach us how to walk together how to walk together in unity, how to stay connected, how to actually fellowship together. He says things like, be completely humble. I don't know about you, but I am not completely humble. I'm more humble than I used to be, but there's still some work that I got to do in order to be completely humble. And I believe if we're completely humble, we're going to be able to walk together. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. I think sometimes we make efforts, but are we willing to make every effort to be able to keep the unity? And then in Romans, he says, in Romans 12, 16, and 17, and 18, he says, be of the same mind towards each other. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. I love that. Don't be wise in your own opinion. Do not repeat Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You know, so many of the times that people have a problem or they have a beef or they're upset about something, it's about what seems right in their eyes. It's about what looks right to them. It's about what they think should happen. But we got to start making decisions from a broader place of what looks right in everyone's eyes. Paul is saying to take everyone into consideration. Don't only consider yourself, but to consider everyone. Paul's trying to explain to us how to walk together, how to walk in a place of fellowship. I've watched something happen over the last four or five years, and I feel like I've watched a lot of division happen. It's like we have totally forgotten how to walk together. We end up searching in the corners of the internet for the small group of people that think and feel exactly like we do about every little minute thing, and then we make those our people. But the picture that Paul is painting is of a diverse group of people, people who look at things from different perspectives, people who see things from different perspectives, people who feel differently about things still able to walk together in fellowship, able to walk together in unity. I don't know about you, but I want us to be able to walk together like that. I want us to be able to fellowship together like that. And we see here that they cared for each other, they went to church together, 
They hung out outside of church together. They were walking in unity. And when they fellowshiped in that way, God could not help but move. When they fellowshiped in that way, God couldn't help but move. You know, I think sometimes we would look at, look at that and we would say, if we had faith, then God would move. If we read the Bible, if we invested in our relationship with him enough, then he would move. And I'm not saying that those things aren't true, but here in this story, we, say, we see that it was when they walked together in unity, when they learned to fellowship together, when they learned to prefer each other, when they cared about the other one more than they cared about their, themselves. It was when they did that that God actually moved. Verse 47 says, Praise God, and enjoying the favor of all the people, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You know, I can't help but wonder what God would do if our fellowship looked like the fellowship with the disciples in this scripture that we looked at. I wonder how God might move in our midst. For in their time, in their day, he added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. Maybe he would move that way amongst us. Maybe he would move with a new fresh wave of healing. Maybe he would come and he would set people free. Maybe he would come to those people who have been bound up by, in slavery, bound by chains, and he would set them free. I cannot help but wonder if we could walk together in this kind of fellowship, how God would move. In the beginning of this message, I said that koinonia was the word for fellowship that Luke used here. I said that it can mean to walk, work, working together for a common purpose. It can also mean um, coming alongside to offer assistance. So I want to ask you this morning, who are you coming alongside to offer assistance? Who are you coming alongside to offer koinonia? Who are you coming alongside to offer fellowship? It also means being willing to let go of individual desires to embrace a common purpose. As you look at yourself, are you willing to let go of what you specifically want and have held tightly onto to embrace a common purpose that we can move forward with? I'm going to end this message by asking you guys the same five questions that I've asked you in each of the previous messages. You can go ahead and close your eyes, and we'll just invite the Lord to come and to speak to us. Lord, we just invite you. Would you come and would you speak to us? Would you come and show us? where we are, and where you want us to be. What is something that you would like to do more of when it comes to fellowship? When you look at your life and the way you've been living, the way you've been going about your business, when you look at how much fellowship there's been, how much coming alongside there's been, how much giving up your perspective to embrace a common vision that we can all walk together in. What's something you want to do more of? What's something you want to do less of? Something you've been doing that's been hindering fellowship, something you've been doing that's been destroying unity, something you've been doing that's been selfish. You act like you cared, maybe you were willing to throw a little money at it, but you really weren't willing to get your hands dirty and say, I want to love you with the kind of love that Jesus said would be how people would see that we're his followers. 
when you think about fellowship, what's something you want to start? You look at your life and say, this is something I could do that would increase the joy amongst the family of God. This is something I could do that would express care to the people around me. This is something I could do to support the people around me. And then when you look at fellowship, what is something you want to stop? Something you look at and you say, you know what? When I look at what fellowship really means, this is something I've been doing that was not helpful. I run into church and then I run out. I don't stop and talk to people. I don't look for someone who needs a hug. I don't check on those people that I know are going through stuff. And lastly, what is something that you want to continue doing? Something you look at your life and you say, you know what, when it comes to fellowship, I've been doing this pretty well, and I don't want to keep doing that. Lord, I ask that fellowship really would be something that is such a part of us that it's something that everyone would know us by. We don't just say we care, but we show we care. We're willing to to sacrifice our desires to support the people around us. That we'd show up to church faithfully. That we'd show up to church together. We would be in it together and walking through the challenges of life, the good times and the bad times together. And then you'd help us learn to walk in unity. Like Paul talked about, you'd help us to make every effort possible to walk in unity. Completely humble. Lord, we ask you to do inside of us what we can't do on our own. Lord, this isn't something we're just going to will ourselves to. This isn't just something we can put a plan in place and, and work it. We're asking you to change our hearts. We're asking you to do something in us so that we value that which you value. We prioritize that which you prioritize. And as we do that, Lord, we invite you to come. The way you came in this story is you added to the church daily, and Lord, we invite you to add to this church daily. We invite you to come and to set people free that have been struggling, people that feel like they've tried everything they could possibly do and are still in the place where they're struggling. Lord, I ask you to come and set them free. People who are in a place where they feel hopeless, see to come and be their hope. We invite you to come and move, God. Come and move in this place. Come and move in our lives. Lord, make us a church that does more than fellowship dinners. Make us a church that actually fellowships in a way that we can walk together in a way that so honors you that you get so excited about it, but you can't help but show up and move. We love you, Lord. And we invite you to come and do this work in our hearts. In your name we pray, amen. Bless you guys as you go from this place. If you're, I'm not going to have a specific altar call, but if you're in a place where you feel like I need someone to pray with me and I need someone to stand with me, the altar is open and we'll have some people that can
come and pray with you if that's what you feel like you need. Bless you as you go from this place. Give someone a hug as you leave. Stop and ask someone how they're doing and fellowship together.